We'll now have our Bible reading. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there should be a hardback black Bible on the pew rack in front of you, so please use it to follow along if you like. Today's reading is from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14, and in the Church Bible, that's on page 1056. So that's Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14, which is on page 1056 in the Church Bible. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. If we haven't met before, my name's James, and I'm one of the pastors here at BRBC. Nice to meet you if you're new, but good to see you if you're one of the regulars here. It's great to be together this morning. Now, we've been going through our five-part Sunday morning teaching series called Pray, with the subtitle of Postures for Praying People. And so what we're doing is taking five Sundays at the beginning of 2019 and honing in on and focusing on thinking about and inspiring perhaps ourselves to be a kind of people who pray. And so what we've been doing is that we've been looking at different postures of prayer. And the first week we looked at stand still, Ephesians chapter 3, and we saw Paul stopping in his tracks in order to pray, to pray for the people he was writing to. So what he seems to do is carve out this space to pray. Now, we brought that down to earth in our lives because we know we live very chaotic and busy lives. And so we need to be Quite intentional when it comes to carving out that time in our lives in order to pray. We need to stand still. Last week, we looked at the posture of stick with. And we looked at Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6. And we saw Jesus saying, look, you don't have to pray like the hypocrites just for a show to get admiration. And you don't have to pray like the Gentiles or the pagans who don't really understand the nature of God. Rather, you get to pray like a child to a heavenly father who listens. So stick with the simplicity of prayer. Now, this week and next week are going to kind of dovetail together. We've got stay low and we've got stand tall. So in order to help us understand this week and next, I'm going to use this ladder to help us. You might have been wondering why, that ladder, why this ladder was there this morning, weren't you? But don't worry, no one, it wasn't that somebody forgot to put it away. Right, okay. Our definition for prayer so far in our series has been this. Prayer is... An intentional, personal, communicative response to who God has revealed himself to be, right? We've said, yeah, prayer is talking to God, but we want a richer, deeper definition of prayer that encapsulates all that the Bible says prayer is. So it's an intentional, it's a personal, you could say an intimate 
response to who God has revealed himself to be. Because prayer always is a response to who God has revealed himself. God is the one who speaks first. God has already spoken. So prayer is that response. Okay, so if that's our definition for prayer, right, that's going to entail an approach. If there is a personal, if there is a communicative or a intentional response, that is necessarily going to entail an approach. So what we're going to be talking about this week and next is about approach. How do we approach God. Now, for this week and next, we're going to look at two different ways to approach God. So on this step ladder, if I climb up this step ladder, I'm not going to go too high because I can't multitask, preach and climb a ladder at the same time. Can't do that. But look at this ladder. Okay. So this ladder works because there's two, two main bits here. I've got this solid bit here where the rungs are. I'm standing on that. But the only reason this ladder is holding me up is because of this side here. We've got this solid bit on this side. I mean, you probably have ladders in your home, right? You've got a few steps to get into your attic. I'm guessing your ladder probably works with the same principle. You've, you've got one bit here and you've got one bit here. And because these two bits are leaning together, this ladder holds us up. It's holding me up. If we didn't have this bit here, I'm going to fall into Ben's guitar. I, I, I need these two bits in order to hold me up. Now, let's think about this week and next week like this. That we have these two seemingly contradictory ideas in how to approach God. Stay low and stand tall. But both of these are going to be integral if we are to grow bit by bit in our prayer life. So what we're looking at this week is just one side of the ladder. Next week, we're going to be looking at the other side. And we develop these two postures this week and next in order to grow in our prayer life. So we're going to move that out the way. But the big question for this week and next is very, very simply this. How do we approach God? How do we? We need to know that. How do we approach God. What's the kind of posture we need to be assuming? What kind of attitude do we need as we approach God in prayer? Now, what we've just had read for us is a parable in Luke chapter 18. You've probably heard it before. Now, this parable is recorded by Luke, and it's the words of Jesus. And what do we find in this parable? We find two very, very different characters. Now, if you lived in first century Jerusalem, you would encounter these characters in normal, everyday society. You would come across a Pharisee, and you would come across a tax collector. Now, now what do we know about these two guys? Well, they're going up to the temple to pray. The temple's on a hill, so if you live in any of the houses surrounding the temple, you're going to have to come up to pray to the temple. Now, what Jesus does is he shows us, or he's telling this story, this parable, of these two prayers, but they pray radically different prayers. And what Jesus does is uses these characters and their prayers as a contrast to teach us about our approach to God in prayer and the posture we should have. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read the first verse to see how Luke sets the scene here. Look at verse 9. Let's reread that. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Press pause for just a moment. Because what Luke, do, what Luke is doing right here, Luke is recording Jesus' parable, but Luke helpfully gives us this little window into why Jesus is telling this parable. And Luke says, well, he's telling it for the ears of those who think they're righteous. And what else? They look with contempt on 
others. So it's the kind of people who are walking around with that self-sufficient kind of swagger. We have got it all together. That's who Jesus is talking to. Now, those two things usually go hand in hand. If somebody thinks they've got everything together, they think they're the best, and they, they think they've got life figured out, what do they tend to do? They tend to look down on people, to look at other people with contempt. So it's that, they're, they're the listeners that Jesus is trying to get to. And Luke says, right, those people Jesus is talking to. Okay, and how does Jesus begin this parable? Look at verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Okay, so Jesus introduces these two characters. Now, in order for us to understand the prayers that follow from each of these individuals, we're going to have to do a little bit of history homework to understand exactly what a Pharisee is and to understand exactly what a tax collector is. So let's start with understanding what's going on within the mindset of a Pharisee in the first century. Now, if you were spending time in Jerusalem, like we've said, you would come across these guys. These guys are the religious elite. These are the guys who are ultra uber righteous. These are the kind of people who are likely to be the religious leaders and the people who set the standard for moral behavior. Now, here's what's key with a Pharisee's way of thinking. They, they think like this. We will be acceptable in God's sight if we can figure out our behavior. If we can modify our behavior and live righteously, then we will be acceptable to God and by God. He, he, will, he, will, he will want us. He will love us. He will accept us only if we can figure out our behavior. So that's how the Pharisees thought. So what they would do, it was they'd take their Old Testament laws and live these out to the nth degree, completely missing the heart of the law. So let's take an example. The Pharisees, they would open up the Old Testament and they would see, keep the Sabbath holy. It's a really, really good thing to do. Yes, they should do that. Great. They should keep the Sabbath holy. They should take a step back from everyday normal life. They should rest. They need that. The Pharisees should step back and remind themselves that they're not invincible, that they need to recharge, that they need to remember who their God is and who they are in light of him. But they miss the heart of that law. And so what the Pharisees did was they created numerous, 40 laws in fact, surrounding the Sabbath law in order to keep that. So one of these extra laws would have been you can only take a certain amount of steps away from your home. Otherwise, that counts as work. Or you can't make a fire on the Sabbath because that counts as work. Or if you're at one of your livestock needs some water, you can only take it a certain amount of steps away from your home. Beyond that, that's going to count as work. So what they would do was obsessively create these extra laws in order to keep the laws. And so what did that breed within them? Well, it was a mentality that thought, right, if we can do all of this, if we can be perfect, if we can have that kind of a level of righteousness, then we will be acceptable in God's sight. And then how does that make them think about other people? Well, they haven't got it right. We're the ones who've got it right. And we're the ones who are acceptable before God. So within the Pharisee, there's an arrogance. There's a pride. There's a self-sufficient swagger. Now, now what about the tax collector? Well, the tax collector, you, you couldn't get more different than a Pharisee. A tax collector is somebody who has betrayed their own people. A tax collector is despised by the communities that they found themselves in. 
So in order to understand this, we'll have to go a bit, back a bit further and talk about how Rome was in charge of Israel. Now, if you go back to the first century, what you will find is that the Roman Empire was probably the strongest and most technologically advanced uh, empire or, or people you have ever, ever seen. Now, the, the Romans just kind of brutally swept through the Mediterranean world from, from Britain to India and just took all of this land and administered it, exploited it, and ruled over it. Now, the Romans, in order to keep this, all of these countries and all of these peoples in order and to keep the peace, ended up ruling with brutality. They had to rule with fear. Now, now today, if there's a disturbance somewhere in a big landmass, you can jump on a plane and you can go and diplomatically and peacefully work it out. But you couldn't do that in the first century. You had to rule with brutality and to instill fear into people. And how do you do that? Well, you need a very big and a very strong army. How do you f- what, do you, what do you need to do with a very big and strong army? Well, you need money and you need to fund it. How do you fund this army? Well, you extract taxes from the people that you rule over. Well, how do you extract taxes then? Well, you find some people who are living in the communities who are willing to betray their own people and go and get that money from all of the individuals and give it back to the big superpower to fund their army that is brutalizing your people. Now, now imagine that today. Imagine today some big, brutal, mean superpower arose and came and took the country that we're living in today. Imagine they came and took England. And they said, right, England, we're in charge of England right now. And what we're going to do is, is we're going to rule over you. We're going to be really, really brutal. And worst of all is we're going to extract taxes from you to fund our technologically advanced army and to, and to line our own pockets. How would we begin to feel towards that big superpower that was exploiting us taking away our independence and ruling over us with brutality, what would we begin to think? Well, we'd begin to really, really dislike them. In fact, we might despise them. We might hate them. They might be the kind of people that just make our stomach turn. Why are these people exploiting us, we would say? Why, why are they being this brutal? And on top of all of that, they're taking our money and we're poorer and we're sitting under their brutality. Now, Imagine someone living on your street. Imagine, let's pick a number. Some person who lives at number three. This big superpower knocks on their door and says, will you come and collect taxes for us? You're going to make a lot of money out of this. And imagine them turning around and saying, yes, I'll do that. And so this person comes and knocks on your door. Hey, we want another 20% from your income. It's going to the superpower who rules over us. How would you think towards that person? That person who's betrayed you. That person who's working for them, or you really, 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 really wouldn't like them. That's a tax collector. A tax collector works for Rome. A tax collector seems to support what Rome is doing. A tax collector goes around and takes the money from the people who are being pressed and exploited and gives it back to the people who are already rich. Nobody likes a tax collector. You see, the Pharisee and the tax collector are two radically different types of people. And then they come to the temple and they pray. Hopefully that will help us understand this prayer. Look at verse 11. The Pharisee, this is how he prays, standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, how does he pray? Standing afar off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus concludes, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So what we find is two very, very different prayers. And I want to briefly just dissect these two prayers with this table right here. So how do these two different prayers pan out? Well, we've got the approach is very different. We read right here that the Pharisee, what does it say? Standing by himself and the tax collector stands afar off. Now, I guess what Jesus is communicating in this parable about standing by himself is that the Pharisee seems to assume, assume this stand of stance of self-sufficiency. I can do this. I can stand on my own. And then the tax collector beats his breast, stands afar off, and doesn't even lift his eyes to heaven. Now, here's to help us understand this. Here's a, here's a, here's a, a model of the first century temple. Now, the Pharisee could have been in this bit here. This is what you would call the inner courts. This, this patch right here. And this is where the holies of holies would be. This is where, where God dwells. So the, the Pharisee would have been allowed into there. Because he's righteous. He's got it together. He can go into these inner courts. But likely the tax collector would have been somewhere around here. Or somewhere around here in the court of the Gentiles. He wasn't even allowed into the inner courts. So standing near and standing far off. Okay, and what about the basis of the prayer? How do they pray? Well, the basis of the prayer for the Pharisee is moral behavior, and the basis of the prayer for the tax collector is God's mercy. Look at what the Pharisee says. What does he ground his prayer on? Thank you, God, that I'm not like them. What do I do? I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I have. Now, only required to fast once a year on the Day of Atonement, but he's fasting twice a week and tithing everything that he has. So what's the Pharisee saying? Thank you, God, that I'm better than everyone else. Thank you that my righteousness is up here. Thank you that I'm not as bad as them. Also, did you see the things that I did, God? Did you see all of my good works? Did you see how righteous I was? And yet the tax collector, dramatically the opposite. He looks inside, and what does he see? He sees that he's a mess. He doesn't see a good track record. And so what does he do? He appeals to God's mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And what about the perspective that they're praying? Well, the Pharisee is praying in light of others. Thank you that I'm not like them, I'm not like them, and I'm not like them, and I'm not like them. See, what the Pharisee does, he prays in, in, with, with, the, with perhaps the basis of, or the grounds of looking at other people's righteousness, comparing himself to that, and then praying. So comparison is where the Pharisee is coming from. At least I'm not as bad as them, so therefore I can feel good about myself. God, do you know how righteous I am? Now this is something we all know to be true in our lives. We all know that comparison, when we compare ourselves to other people, it never ends up good. One of two things will happen. We'll either get superior or we'll get inferior. What do I mean by that? Well, we'll look at everyone else and we'll say, right, how am I grading up to those other people? And if we're doing a little bit better, 
if, if uh, we got that bonus this year, or our life is just a little bit more organized, or our kids are just a little bit be- be- better behaved, and then we'll begin to feel superior and then look down on others. Or we'll get inferior. We'll look at everyone else, and all of a sudden we'll find that they seem to be doing better than us. We'll look at their Facebook. We'll look at their Instagram. My life isn't as good as that. I'm not as good as they are. How do we begin to feel? Inferior. Comparison never works out well because superiority and inferiority, they both end up self-focused. They both end up self-absorbed. They both end up not being able to get past ourselves. But then how does, what's the perspective of the tax collector? He prays in light of God. He looks up. He doesn't look up, he looks down. But he knows there is a God there who is merciful. He knows there's a God who is gracious. He knows there's a God who's holy. He knows there's a God who is quick to forgive. So that's how he prays in light of God. And what's the self-knowledge? Well, the Pharisee doesn't think he's a sinner. I can know God. I can be acceptable to him on the basis of my good works. And then the tax collector, how does he pray? Have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. What does he see when he looks inside? That the answer isn't inside of himself. And then how do they conclude this? Well, Jesus says, Well, the Pharisee goes away. He's not justified. He's not righteous in God's sight. Oh, the irony. But the tax collector, he goes away justified. The one who repented, the one who confessed, the one who recognized he was a sinner. So what's Jesus saying here? What's Jesus saying about this prayer? What's Jesus doing with this contrast? Well, Jesus here is teaching us about humility. He's teaching us about how to approach God in prayer. Jesus is highlighting and elevating the humility of the tax collector. Jesus is showing us that is the way to approach God. Now, if we could boil this down, if we could boil it all the way down to one simple point that Jesus is teaching, it's this. Real prayer is us humbly going to a gracious and merciful God. I'll say that again. If you could boil this all the way down to one simple point that Jesus is teaching in this parable, real prayer is us humbly, and that's the key word, humbly, approaching, going to a gracious and merciful God who is quick to forgive. We could boil it down even further, right? Humility is essential in prayer. We boil it down even further. In prayer... Stay low. Stay humble. Now think about this. This tax collector has a sense of reality about him. He doesn't quite have the same distortion that the Pharisee has. He has this clarity in his vision. He can see who his God is. He can see that God is holy. He he can see that God is perfect. He can see God's righteous demands, but he can also see that he's fallen short. And so he throws himself on God's mercy. There is a realness, there is a rawness, there is a clarity that the tax collector has. And what does that clarity bring? It brings humility. See, see the byproduct of his view of God and the view of himself is humility. This is important to get here. Humility isn't us saying, I'm a worm, I'm a worm, I'm a worm. Humility is us being able to say, it's not about me. And that's what Jesus seems to be highlighting about this 
tax collector. Humility isn't saying, I'm useless, I'm a wretch, I'm a nobody. That's still caught up in yourself. Humility is being able to say, it's not about me. What does C.S. Lewis say? Humility is not thinking less of ourselves, it's thinking of ourselves less. So Jesus is saying real prayer right here is us humbly approaching, going to a merciful and gracious God who is quick to forgive when we confess. Jesus is saying in prayer, stay low. I mean, you might ask the question right now, okay, James, well, what, what does that look like? I want to know what humility looks like. Bring this down to earth. We get the point of the parable, but what does it look like in our lives? What does humility look like? Can you give a picture of humility, please? Well, I'd be glad to. And I'm going to tell you about the life of Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ's life begins with humility, because he steps down from his throne in heaven and takes on human flesh. He takes on our humanity so that he can redeem it. And then as Jesus lives his life, do we see a life of pride and arrogance like the Pharisee? No, we see the opposite. We see a life of humility. Does he spend time with kings, queens, and a life of luxury? Absolutely not. He spends time with the outcast. He spends time with the lepers. He spends time with the rejected prostitutes and the sinners. Jesus lives a life of humility. And then we know towards the end of his life, in fact, the night before, He's with his friends, his 12 disciples around the table, celebrating Passover together. And and Jesus takes some bread from the table and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he takes a cup of wine and he says, this is my blood, which is poured out for you. And then what Jesus does is he, he gets up and he ties a cloth around his waist and he gets down and he ends up washing the disciples' feet. And then Peter's crying out, no, 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 Jesus, let me wash your feet. And Jesus says, no, I have to wash your feet. And then, of course, less than 24 hours later, we find out what's really going on. Is that Jesus goes to the cross. And then the ultimate humble act, he gives himself for us. And on the third day, rises from the dead. You see, through Jesus' humility, we find our freedom. And in Jesus' humility we find a blueprint for the way we live our lives. That's why Jesus is saying, real prayer is us humbly going to a gracious and merciful God who is quick to forgive. Now this is a truth we need to let seep into our prayer lives and it will begin to change us. But there's three things I think we need to just hone in on before we turn to the table together and see and touch and taste Jesus' humility here. Three things. Firstly, we never get past humility. I think that's what this parable is teaching us. We never get past that. You know, there's times in our lives where you're looking forward to getting past something. Oh, I can't wait till the kids have flown the nest. Oh, I can't wait till retirement. Oh, I can't wait till this course or this degree is done with. And then you kind of graduate that stage. We never graduate humility. We never get past it. We're called to go deeper into it. Second thing we learn from this, second thing we learn is that, is that what this parable is teaching us is that we can, we can get off that relentless, never-ending treadmill of trying to prove ourselves to God and others. There's a freedom in this parable. 
we can get off that relentless treadmill that we all know of trying to prove ourselves. We don't have to try and be someone to anyone else. We don't have to try and aim for this perfection. Yes, we live for holiness, but we don't take the mentality of the Pharisee, and that is absolutely liberating. And lastly, what do we learn? Well, if this parable is true, and if what Jesus is saying to us this morning hits home, then we can be real with God. Here's the thing, the Pharisee's hiding. The Pharisee refuses to go deeper. The Pharisee just wants to look at what he does. But what do we have with the tax collector? He's able to be real. He looks inside and he doesn't see the answer. He looks inside and he sees he's fallen short. He looks inside and what does he see? The answer isn't in me. But he has a God who's merciful. A God who's quick to forgive. A God who's gracious. And he throws himself on that God. And so he can be real with God. You see, what Jesus is teaching through this parable is that real prayer is us humbly going to God, a gracious and merciful God who is quick to forgive. Jesus is saying, look, in prayer, stay low. Now, we're going to turn to the table now, and we get to see, taste, and touch, be reminded about Jesus's humility. So let's pray together and then we'll turn. Lord, we want to thank you that your word speaks to us, that your word is living and active. And we thank you for Jesus's words teaching us about prayer, teaching us to stay low, to know that we can humbly approach you on the basis of your mercy and not on our works. Because if it was on our works, no one could stand. But because of your mercy, we can draw near. And we thank you for that. And we're praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, we're going we're gonna to share communion together now. And what we have right here is just small... Uh, pieces of bread that have been cut up, and little glasses of grape juice. Now, why do we do that? Well, the church has been doing it for 2,000 years. Churches all over the world do this. Why? Because Jesus gave this to us. On the night before he was crucified, he said, look, this bread, and he broke it. This is my body. My body's going to be broken for you. And he took the cup and said, this is my blood, and it's going to be poured out for you. Now, here's the thing we've said already. Jesus has lived that, hum, that humble life, and Jesus did the humble act. And it's through Jesus' humility that we are set free. And Jesus' humility is the blueprint for our lives. Jesus' humility is the blueprint for our prayer lives. So what we get to do, our weary and forgetful hearts can be reminded and filled of that wonderful truth that it's through his humility that we are set free. That's why Jesus gave this to us. So, if you don't know Jesus this morning, please don't feel pressured to take it. There's going to be other people in the room who won't be taking it. You're not the odd one out. Just let this pass by. But if you do know and love Jesus, and if you do want to cry out like the tax collector, Lord, have mercy upon me, then this is most definitely for you. So, can I have some help handing this out, please?
going to read a couple of verses from Philippians chapter 2. I'm guessing some of you are going to know these quite well. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his interest, own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm going to pray. Lord, we want to thank you. We want to thank you for, Father, the humility of Jesus, that Jesus emptied himself so that we could go free, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could cry out, Lord, have mercy upon us, us sinners. We thank you that in Jesus' humility, we are set free, we are redeemed, and we are known by you. And that through Jesus' humility, we have new life. So Lord, we pray you would help us to stand in that humility, to live in it, and to pray in it. Help us to have that posture as we pray. And we're thankful. We're praying in Jesus' name. Amen have the bread together. Let's have the juice together. Let me pray once more before we sing our last song. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you have made us your own and that we have this parable of the tax collector. Help us this morning to cry out with that same honesty, with that same realness as he stood afar off and beat his chest and cried, have mercy. Lord, we know he encountered a merciful and gracious God who is quick to give, quick to forgive. And we thank you that we can throw ourselves on that same God. Lord, we thank you.
that you are gracious, you are merciful, and you are quick to forgive. Help us as we pray to stand in Jesus' humility and to stay low. We're praying in Jesus' name. Amen.